0: Thanks for listening. I'm Dr. Barry Harker and this is The Bible Teachers. In the previous six programs, I've been talking with Pastor Peter Watts on the question, is God for real? Today, in the seventh and final program in the series, Peter will relate the story of his journey from unbelief to belief in the United Kingdom and how he came to be a pastor in Australia. Hello Peter, welcome again.
1: Thank you Barry, it's good to be here.
0: I have really enjoyed our conversations and I'm sure our listeners have too. I guess I'm a little bit sad that we're drawing this series to a close, it's been so enjoyable. But today we're talking about your journey from unbelief to belief. Where does the story begin and what was England like when you were growing up there?
1: Yeah, I I grew up in Birmingham, England, which uh, was... An industrial town, but it was sort of becoming a post-industrial town. Um, Birmingham was really at the heart of the manufacturing uh, area of England, um, and uh, so there was lots of factories there, and uh, you know, made lots of different things. Um, half my family worked at the um, in the car industry. Um, used to build cars, you, uh, the Austin Rover. Car Manufacturing Company. We uh, used to be build the Mini, which uh, was world famous. And uh, then the other uh, other half of my family worked at Cadbury's. Uh, most people have heard of Cadbury's Chocolate. Um, and uh, John Cadbury actually began in Birmingham, England. And uh, if you've ever heard of Bourneville Chocolate, yes. Bourneville is actually the uh, suburb where the Cadbury factory is. And uh, my uh, aunt, uh, many of my other family members on that side, Used to work there. So half my family worked at the car factory, Uh, the other half of the uh, family worked at the Cadbury's. And um, I I grew up in a a secular home. Um, My mother was always a believer in God, uh, I would say, Um, and she might go to church maybe once a month at that time. Um but we never spoke about God in our home we never prayed in our home we didn't look at the bible in our home if if Jesus or God's name was ever used it was only ever used as a throwaway term um and uh so um my my father was an agnostic my brother was an agnostic and i was an agnostic and so um i just grew up as a secular person and um you know i didn't believe that there was a god uh, I, I- guess I didn't know, and I didn't really care it wasn't it wasn't something that came upon my radar that that often uh I went to secular schools I uh, was taught evolution I believe that was the way that uh the universe came to be. I believe that that was the way life and human life came to be um and so um you know I had a a relatively happy childhood there was myself and my brother. And um, but, yeah, God wasn't a part of the picture.
0: Did you have any Christian friends?
1: I had one friend who was uh, he would go to church every week. When I was 14, um, I had a friend who was 12 and uh, he his family was Christian and they would go to, I think, the Anglican church every week. Um, And we used to play soccer together, you see. Um, And I remember giving him a hard time one time, um, you know, saying, how can you believe in God? How can you believe in the Bible? You know, haven't you heard of the dinosaurs? And all of those different things that um, some of which we've talked about uh, in our previous program on, you know, did we really evolve? Uh, And so I used to give him a hard time. But, you know, Christianity, I I just thought it was make-believe. And that's, you know, one of the reasons we've done this series is God for Real, because uh, I have come to... Uh, understand that God is real Uh, his relationship with us is a real one his desires for us in the future and in the present are real Um, and uh, you know the stories that we read in the Bible are real stories of real events where God has interacted with real people and God still wants to do that today Um, but I didn't believe that growing up um, and yeah uh, I, I Yes, I grew up in a typical secular British home um,
0: was that England, was that uh, was your home typical do you think I or? think it
1: was fairly typical um, you know we as we grew into our teenage years you know we would we would drink we would watch telly we would watch football uh, you know it was a pretty typical kind of uh, situation and I think that England uh, then and, and today, and probably increasingly so, is, um, is in many ways a post-Christian country. Uh, I, I saw a uh, comment from the Prime Minister David Cameron where he was arguing in favour of the fact that Britain was still a, a Christian country. Uh, I think in the, in the minds of many, they may still believe in a God or whatever, but it doesn't influence their lives a great deal. And uh, I think most people uh, see England uh, as a secular kind of place these days.
0: Had you really done any reading around the issues around religion? Not, not had you, at had all. you read the Bible?
1: No, not at all. I mean, you know, it's one of those things that most people, if you ask them what do you think of the Bible, they'll give you an opinion, even though they've never read it. And uh, oh. I'm sure that I would probably have given you an opinion, but uh, it didn't really. Um it wasn't a major thing for me to consider. I, I, Like I said, I thought that evolution was the way we came into being. I did remember when I was 14 years of age, um, my grandparents uh, were obviously getting older. And um, I remember when I was about 14, starting to think about, well, my grandparents are going to die soon. And then my parents will get old and die. And then I'm going to get old and die. And what is the purpose? What is the meaning of life? Uh, so at 14, uh, I began to sort of think about that. And it wasn't uh, it was an inspiring thought. It was quite a depressing thought because I really didn't, I was thinking, well, what's the point? What, what's the point of life? And I actually, at 14, uh, was, I was thinking about the, uh, I guess, the logic of suicide in as much as uh, if your life isn't so great down here uh, and all you've got, look, to look forward to his old age and death, then why prolong the agony? Why not terminate your life? So even though I don't think I I thought about suicide, but I I wasn't serious about committing suicide, but I think that um, it was something that entered my head and thought, you know, I can understand why people would commit suicide because there's no purpose, there's no meaning to life. Um, about age 14, I took up smoking through uh, a friend who was smoking at the time, and he passed cigarettes on to me, uh, which was really uh, kind of interesting because my father smoked heavily. Uh, I never liked being in a smoke filled house, and that's where I I grew up. But yet, because of peer pressure, I took, took up smoking anyway, uh, even though I didn't want to or didn't like it. Um, and then, uh, age 19, And then, you know, shortly after, shortly after um, around fourteen, I took up drinking and smoking. Then at nineteen, I was using marijuana through the influence of another friend. Um, And you know, my my life was busy going nowhere. I think you'd probably have to say.
0: Did you have any ambitions?
1: I really didn't. Uh, I left school when I was sixteen. I really had no idea what I wanted to do. I wasn't uh, academically blessed. I, really, academics didn't interest me. Uh, and my father, who worked for Austin Rover, and his father had worked for Austin Rover as well, he uh, said, come on, we'll we'll get you an apprenticeship as a mechanic. Uh, that was interesting in itself because we didn't even own a car. Um, you know, my father had never owned a car. Our family had never owned a car. I was the first to actually learn to drive and, and have a car in our house. But uh, So it was my dad, really, who got me into car mechanics, and that's where I started. I did that for uh, three three to four years. Um,
0: did you enjoy
1: it? I did, actually. I really did enjoy that and um, obviously learned about motor vehicles and, and so forth. Uh, I got made redundant from being uh, a mechanic apprentice. I was a mechanic apprentice. I got made redundant from that. I ended up working at the Austin Rover Car Factory for about six months, actually build, working on the Mini. So I've actually worked on on the mini. Um, But then after that, some friends of mine who were my age group began working at a restaurant, an American restaurant company, uh, but this was in the UK. And they said we had a, you know, they were having a good time working at this restaurant company, a big 430 seat restaurant, um, invited me to to go there. And so I started working there because it was uh, most of the people that worked there were younger. They were my age group. Um... And it seemed like every night was a party, uh, even though you were working. So I was working at this bar, a cocktail bar in the centre of this cocktail bartender bar restaurant, and I was working there as a bartender for four years. Now, at the time when we were working there, there was a film made in Hollywood called Cocktail with Tom Cruise and Brian Brown, the Australian actor, and... uh, At the time that film came out, both those actors were trained by people who worked for the same organisation that I was working for. And so we had a part in promoting that film when it came out on video. And so we would do exhibitions and uh, juggling and, you know, bottle juggling and all that kind of thing. Uh, And so I was working as a cocktail bartender for about four years and for most of that, the head bartender.
0: Hmm. Did you have a girlfriend?
1: I did at the time, yes. Um, And I also had... Uh, a friend who came to work at the bar, his name was Steve, and uh, he sort of started about a year after I did, came to work there. He and his girlfriend and me and my girlfriend, we would go out together. We would socialise together, became a good friend. Shortly after he began working there, um, the, the we had a conversation. We were working in the service bar. And uh, he, he said something about the Bible and about God. And I thought, well, that's strange. That's weird. You know, why would you talk about the Bible or God? And I was, you yeah, OK, you know, I'm not interested. Um, then uh, shortly after that, uh, we were both studying for a master bartender certificate. And this is a certificate that you get. You need to study uh, about alcohol. Um, you need to learn about 400 cocktails off by heart. You had um, uh, a juggling test. You had a poor test. There were a whole variety of different things that you had to pass to get this master bartender certificate. And so Steve and I were both training for that. And so he and I would uh, go to his house to study for this, and sometimes we'd go to my house to study. Well, whenever we were at Steve's house, he would pull out a folder called the Pictorial Aid for Bible Study. You know, we'd have a little bit of a break, and he'd pull out this folder, the Pictorial Aid for Bible Study, which had maps and charts and pictures about different Bible teachings to try to illustrate those Bible teachings. And I thought, you know, I'm not interested. I don't know why this guy's interested in the Bible so much, but I'm not interested. Um, It turned out that Steve was raised Seventh-day Adventist. But he had his parents had stopped going to church around the age when he was age 13, which meant that he'd stopped going to church. And I guess he just sort of drifted into um, the rest of the world, so to speak. And he was living the same kind of lifestyle I was. And yet he still had this residual belief in God and the residual belief in the Bible. Um, When he would share this book, this new pictorial aid for Bible study with me inside the cover it said, printed at Science Publishing Company, Warburton, Victoria, Australia. And I just remember seeing that address and think to myself, why has this guy got this folder from Australia? You know, he'd show me the pictures and the charts and the maps and it was all over my head. I had no idea what they were all about. But when I saw the address, I just thought, hmm, that's curious. Why Why has he got this folder from Australia? Because, of course, nothing in England printed in Australia. It's all printed in England or Europe or America, and so that in itself was, was unusual. And the address sort of locked in my mind, printed at Warburton, Victoria, Australia. Well, uh, we both ended up leaving the bar work to do other work. And uh, he went on to do other work. I went on to become a sales rep for a glass processing firm. and uh, But we maintained a friendship. We had a, a good friendship now. We would see, see each other socially. Um one day I was at his home, and he showed me was showing me through the Bible. And by this time, we'd become good friends, so I would humor him. I'd think, oh, this is your hobby. You like to tell people about the Bible, so I'll allow you to do that, even though I have no interest. And so he would be telling me about Noah and the flood and the geology of the world and there's evidence in the world that there's been a global flood and all of these kind of things. And then he said, and then God placed a rainbow in the sky at the end of the flood. In in the book of Genesis, chapter 9, it tells us that. And I said, oh, that's interesting. I didn't know the Bible said anything about rainbows. Now, I didn't know the Bible said anything about anything. I just didn't know anything about the Bible. And uh, so interestingly enough, the next day I was driving to work. The rain was falling. My window wipers were going. And there across the middle of the road as I was driving to work was this bright and beautiful rainbow. Uh, clearest one I'd ever seen. And when I saw that... Was this
0: a common thing? Did you see them regularly?
1: Well, you know, how often do you see a rainbow? Maybe you see a rainbow, you know, once a month or something, or I don't know, once every, it's not something you see every day, that's for sure. But there was something about this rainbow I don't know. There was something about the rainbow that I knew it was there for me. I broke into tears, in fact, which is a rather irrational, illogical thing to do when you see a rainbow but I somehow knew that that rainbow across the middle of the road it wasn't just that I saw the rainbow there was something happening inside uh, and something spoke to my heart and said this is there for you because I'd just been speaking about it with Steve the day before and suddenly in that moment I actually had to pull over because I was crying and I didn't even know I was crying at the time and, and I was sort of wondering what all this meant but the the two things that stuck in my mind, number one was for the first time in my life that at that moment I knew there was a God. And secondly, I then thought, what kind of a God puts a rainbow in the sky for one person? There was thousands of people around who could see that rainbow, but I instinctively knew that that was there for me. And I wasn't of an attitude that I wanted to believe. I wasn't looking for God. I, w- I, didn't, I dismissed God. And yet when I saw the rainbow, there was an impact on me uh, that is hard to explain, but there was an emotional impact too. And suddenly I realized that that rainbow was there for me, and it was there for God to get my attention. Well, after that, I remember ringing up Steve and saying, did you see the rainbow? Did you see the rainbow? And uh, I would talk with him some more. And then whenever he would get the Bible out and want to share things with me, I was far more interested after that experience. And so then that's what happened. He would bring out the Bible and we went through a passage in the Old Testament, Daniel chapter 2, where we looked at the uh, prophetic passage in Daniel chapter 2 that outlines the history of the world from the empire of Babylon all the way through to our day and beyond until when God sets up his kingdom. And when I did finally understand that prophecy, when I understood that passage, I said, this is amazing. God knows the future. Uh, Because it was apparent to me that you couldn't just guess those things, that God knew in advance what was going to happen. And so... It was kind of interesting because it it seemed like at that moment God demolished all of my opposition. So all the opposition that I had towards there being a God, all the opposition that I had towards accepting the Bible as an authority seemed to be demolished by the Holy Spirit. Here was just one passage that I was learning and understanding and suddenly I felt the Bible was true. Here was evidence that God knew the future. God knows what he's talking about. The Bible is reliable. It is trustworthy. And from that time, I began to regard the Bible as trustworthy throughout, even though I hadn't read it. I'd read but one chapter, um, but I regarded the Bible as authoritative. And so I began to study more with Steve.
0: The capacity to tell the future is not um, generally with us, is it? So, well, so when you when you see... Uh, a prophecy being able to predict what's happened in history, yes, then that does get your attention, doesn't well,
1: it? We have the advantage that prophecy was written two and a half thousand years ago, so we have the advantage of re- of living two and a half thousand years later. So we we have that advantage of looking back and checking it out and seeing well. Did God to get it right? You know, does this is this really a prophecy or is it just some ancient writing that has no significance? And we see when we see that prophecy that it is an accurate prophecy of the events that took place between that time and this, and there are still things yet to be fulfilled. Um, so I was very very impressed by that, and we started to study more and other things that G, uh, that uh, Steve would unpack to me from the Bible. We started to study different things. We would study about the Sabbath. And I'd never really heard about the Sabbath before uh, and the fact that the Sabbath is the seventh day of the week. And I thought, no, that can't be right because uh, it seemed to me that surely uh, the entire Christian world can't be uh, blind to this reality because most Christians go to church, of course, on Sunday. The Bible teaches that the Sabbath is Saturday throughout, you know, from start to finish, that the Sabbath day is Saturday. And that made a lot of sense to me. I remember learning when I went to school that Sunday was the first day of the week. I remember learning that uh, and now it began to make sense. So I was amazed that here in about a half an hour to 40 minutes, I learned which day the Sabbath was and that somehow I knew something that most in the world didn't know. Uh, I I found that incredible. Uh,
0: What else was happening in your life at that time? What were you thinking?
1: Well, it was... uh, I couldn't deny the intellectual side of the Bible in as much as that I saw the prophetic word, I saw that it had been confirmed, I saw the facts regarding the Sabbath, and I believed indeed that there was a God, that he was real, and that the Bible was his word. However, my own personal life didn't really change a great deal. Um... I would be When I'd meet Steve, we'd do some studies. We, he actually arranged for us to study at home. There was a small group of us. There was Steve, myself, his wife that he'd met over the bar in the restaurant that we worked in, another waitress that worked at that same bar. Uh, you know, there was a handful of us that would study together the Bible. And then Steve phoned a pastor that he knew, and he would come and study the Bible with us. And eventually Steve said, look, I know the truth. I'm going to go back to church And I said, "Okay, I'll come with you. And so Steve's first day back at church was my first day at church. And that was uh, Worcester Seventh-day Adventist Church, which is a tiny little church in the shadow of the great cathedral there. But even though those things were occurring, the rest of my life was still very secular and hadn't changed a great deal. Um, I think, uh, you know, I, I probably gave up smoking at this point in time. Um, But I hadn't given up drinking. And, um, you know, my entire life wasn't committed to God. I knew there was a God. I believed in his word. And I was accepting truths intellectually, but I wasn't transforming my life. You know, my life wasn't being transformed internally, at least not overnight. Uh, You know, incrementally it may have been, but it was to the point that I would allow it to be.
0: But something was happening because that experience with the rainbow indicated that there was some emotional component, some need for something better than you had.
1: For sure. There's no doubt whatsoever that emotional situation where I saw the rainbow broke down in tears, clearly there was some kind of reassurance to know that there is a God, that there is someone and he cares enough to get my attention.
0: Was the fact that... There was a caring God there. Do you think that was part of the mix? Do you I'm think sure that, was, that it was, Barry. Was that leading you to open yourself intellectually Absolutely. to all of this? I
1: think as well as the idea that, you know, life perhaps is not purposeless and meaningless, that there is some reason for being, uh, that, that, you know, having a God in the universe uh, sort of lent credence to the idea that there was purpose in life. So there was some emotional thing going on there, but I had not committed my life to God and the church and, you know, the Bible at that point. I was still studying the Bible with Steve, going to church occasionally. Uh, One of the things was that I was a season ticket holder for Aston Villa Football Club um, and had been for some years. So uh, when when they were playing at home on a Saturday, that's where I would be. I already had my Saturday church, so to speak. Um, And so, you know, I would go to the football one week and I might go to the church the next week when they were playing away. And so, um, you know, my commitment was not complete uh, at that time. And so we would go to church every other week. Steve bought me a Bible uh, for Christmas one year, and uh, we would continue going to church. I was, typically, I would he would live about 40 minutes from my home. So I would travel from my home in Birmingham south, uh, stay with him and his wife overnight on a Friday, and then go to church on Saturday morning with them at Worcester.
0: At least you'd put yourself in the environment where God could speak to you.
1: Absolutely. I was open to his influence, that's for sure. I I was wanting to learn more about the Bible. I was convinced that that was true. And I was learning some amazing things. Uh, As well as Daniel chapter 2 and that prophecy, the Sabbath, I also was learning about the state of the dead. In other words, the Bible teaches that when we die, we go to sleep. And uh, that made so much sense to me. Because I'd never really understood this idea that, you know, we could contact our dead loved ones. I mean, if that was really the case, why why wouldn't we all be able to do that? If they could contact us, why wouldn't they all want to contact us? By this time, my grandparents had died and I loved them and they loved me. Why wouldn't we be able to communicate if they were still alive somewhere? So the teaching in the Bible that when you die, uh, you, you're basically in an unconscious sleep, your body decays, the spirit goes back to God who gave it the, the breath of life. Um, that made perfect sense to me. It was a revelation to me because I thought that makes so much sense. As, an, as a, a non-Christian, as an evolutionist, I had believed that, well, when you die, that's it. You turn to dust and that's the end. Uh, and so this picture was kind of consistent with that in as much as the dead knew nothing until the resurrection, but that resurrection the Bible teaches happens at the second coming at the end of the world. And so I also, you know, could see the signs of the times, the signs in the world, you know, I could recognize these were signs that Jesus was soon going to return. I also um, learned about hell, the idea that uh, nobody is roasting and toasting in hell right now, which was of a great relief because that, impacts greatly on the kind of God that we think exists or doesn't exist. Sometimes people are angry at God rather than thinking he doesn't exist. They're angry at him because they perceive that he has done something to them or he hasn't done something for them or that he's going to burn in hell forever and ever those that disagree with him. And that's not a very pleasant picture of anybody. Um, And it's not, I believe, it's not an accurate picture of the God of the Bible. And so to learn that hell was actually uh, not an everlasting burning torment that people get cast into um, because they, you know, don't follow God. There's nobody burning in hell now, and hell will not burn forever. Uh, that's what I believe the Bible teaches, having studied this this out. So learning those things was a great relief in, in some respect. Um, but, you know, I was learning lots of things about God and the Bible.
0: It seems as if God is breaking down some of those psychological barriers by providing you with information from Scripture. Yes. What's happening to you emotionally through this time? Is this a progressive thing or is? Yeah, are you definitely. remaining fairly aloof from this whole no, thing?
1: No, I remember there would be guys that I would go and have a beer with that I would start talking to them about God and the Bible with. So it was interesting that I, because I did absolutely believe these things were true. You know, I had accepted the Bible as authoritative. I was now sharing these things in conversation with other people. Uh, I was learning all sorts of things and, uh, I I really appreciated that. And so I was growing, but I had not made my full commitment to God because uh, there was, you know, things in my uh, life that I felt probably should have changed uh, that at that point had not. Uh, about this time, somebody, a couple of friends of mine had come back from a visit to Australia. They There had been a number of people that I had known whom I worked with at the restaurant who'd taken a year off, gone to Australia, spend a year there and, a ba- you know, backpacking, working holiday, had come home and said, hey, Australia's a really great place, you should go visit. And so myself and a couple of other friends had decided, okay, at the end of the year, that's what we'll do. We'll go to Australia uh, as backpackers and we'll spend a year travelling and working around Australia. And so that's what I decided to do. Um, I, we went to Southeast Asia, went to, arrived at Perth, spent three months in Perth, and then um, came to Sydney. And uh, I basically came to Sydney because I was, my money was then running low. I hadn't worked yet. Uh, been in Australia for three months. Been holidaying for about a month before that as well. So now my money's starting to run low. I need a job. I thought I'll go to Sydney to get a job. I got a couple of jobs in the same day. Uh, one was at the Crow's Nest bottle shop selling grog. And another one I think was in an Italian restaurant or something uh, washing dishes Um, So I was serving alcohol, but while I was doing that job, I decided to look up the local Seventh-day Adventist church. And I went to Chatswood Seventh-day Adventist church uh, in Sydney and uh, met some lovely people there, would go there for Sabbath school and church. You know, the Bible study program is Sabbath school in the morning. And uh, just listening, you know. Sabbath School is like a Bible study group where people can sit around, they discuss, they ask questions, they have conversation about a particular biblical passage. But I, for the most part, would just sit and listen, you know, because I was trying to drink in um, as much as I could. Um, and so uh met some lovely people there. And then one day in the afternoon uh, at Chatswood Church, we were sitting around after church. We'd had lunch. We were sitting around in an afternoon meeting and uh, the pastor said to me, uh, tell me how you came to walk into the church here at uh, Chatswood. And I told him basically what we've just discussed. And uh, he said, uh, well, that's interesting. He said, have you ever thought about being baptized? And I said, well, yes, I thought that maybe one day I would get baptized. He said, would you like to be baptized? And uh I thought about it and I said, "Well, yes, if you'd like to study with me, I I'd, I'd be happy to be baptized." And so I began Bible studies with the pastor then toward baptism. And um
0: was this a tipping point for you?
1: Well, it was a point of decision. Uh I guess at that point I wasn't about to say, "Hey, I want to be baptized, will you do it?" But because he had asked me, I was thinking, "Well, yeah, why not? This is true, this is real." Uh, this is the next step. Uh, let's start to plan for that. And so we started planning. As we were studying towards baptism, uh, I was still drinking. Um, I was still working at the Crow's nest bottle shop serving grog, selling grog. And uh, I remember my next-door neighbors invited me to a party. And I went to that party, and I got blind drunk. And I remember as I was drunk, I was talking to somebody across a table in the backyard And I was trying to tell them about the Mark of the Beast uh, in my drunken state. And they had no idea what I was talking about. And I remember leaving that conversation, going to the bathroom, shutting the door and looking at myself in the mirror and thinking, what a fool you must appear to be to this other guy who had no idea what I was talking about. I really didn't have that much idea of what I was talking about. I was drunk. I could see that it was a bad witness and probably at that time, that night, was when I decided to give up drinking. I hadn't had a Bible study on it, you know. Um, I hadn't decided based on a conviction from the Bible. It was just that I thought I knew or I, I knew in my heart this was inconsistent with my witness. And so I gave up drinking. And so then I was serving grog at the bottle shop, but I wasn't drinking myself. And I would see people come into the grog shop. There was a little old lady Uh, And I don't know how old she was, but I'm guessing she looked older than she was because she looked very haggard. And she would come in and she would buy a cask of red wine every night. And I knew that she was drinking it herself. And the conviction came to my own heart about how long can I keep doing this? How long can I keep selling a drug, alcohol, which I knew was doing her harm? And I'd seen it do harm for countless other people in my own life, in my own drinking career, in my own career as a bartender, I'd seen the damage that alcohol could do. And so uh, I began to think, you know, maybe I should be giving up this job. Well, at that point, I was still studying with the pastor. And we came to the point where I was to get baptized. And my plan was I had spent three months of the year in Perth. I'd now spent three months in Sydney. I was coming to the end of that time. I was going to get baptized, and I thought, well, I'm going to continue the tour. I'm going to go up to Brisbane and go around the top end and, you know, see Australia. That was why I was here. Um, but the pastor, it was interesting. As I approached baptism, I began to pray to God, and I was saying, Lord, uh, If you want me to be baptized, if you want me to become a Christian, find some work within the church for me to do. And uh, the pastor at one of our Bible study meetings, the pastor said to me, you know, I've been praying to God that he'll find me a young volunteer to help me run some programs in the church. And I said, well, I've been praying that God will find me some work in the church. He said, well, maybe God has put us together. Well, at that point, I went back to my knees and prayed, Lord, is this really what you want me to do? And God basically said to me, he convicted me of saying, well, you asked me for some work within the church. Here it is. What do you want to do? And so that was probably the biggest decision of my life, to choose not only to get baptized but to volunteer for the church for the next six months. It meant putting my dreams and my plans on the shelf. I was no longer going to roam around Australia. I was going to work as a volunteer for the church. So that's what I did. I got baptized, started working as a volunteer for the church, About a month later, a friend of mine, a bartender friend of mine, was getting married in the States. So I went over there for a week, saw him get married, came back. And at that time, I was feeling a little homesick, a little lonesome. There hadn't been anybody special in my life for quite some time. And so after I got back from America, I'm still in Australia, in Sydney, I prayed, Lord, I want you to find me a wife. Now, I I prayed that prayer not simply because I was desperate to find a girlfriend, but rather because I knew that my methods of finding a girlfriend didn't always end up finding the right kind of person. And I wanted literally God to find the right kind of person that I could spend the rest of my life with. And I knew it had to be someone who believed in the same God that I believed in. It had to be somebody who believed in the same Bible that I believed in. Well, all I know is three days later, three nights later, I met my wife. And my wife and I have been married for nearly 20 years now. And so I praise God for helping me to find my wife. I began working for the pastor as a volunteer with that church. He gave me a brand new copy of the Pictorial Aid that Steve had used some years earlier. I said, wow, here I am in Australia. I've got one of these folders of my own. And the pastor said, I want you to read it, learn it and use it. Um, We got married in Sydney And then about six months later, we moved down to country Victoria to a place called Warburton, which is where this folder had been produced. I worked in a a restaurant there in Warburton for a couple of years. And then we were expecting our our first child, Daniel, our son. And I was looking for other work. So I went down the road to the Science Publishing Company and asked if they had any work there. I I took on a mature apprenticeship as a bookbinder worked there for seven years. The first day I worked at the Science Publishing Company, we were making the pictorial aid for Bible study. Full circle. Full circle that I'd seen so many years before that Steve had showed me that had said, printed at Science Publishing Company, Warburton, Victoria, Australia. I remembered seeing that address. Here I was now helping to produce the very materials that had been used to try and help me to understand God and and his word. Uh, a shiver went down my spine. I, I Certainly thought,
0: doesn't seem coincidental, does it?
1: It wasn't coincidental. I was amazed that, uh, that God could sew up the pieces the way he had. Um, and to bring me to this point, I really felt that I'd come home in a way. Uh, I worked there for seven years. And then after seven years, God kind of tapped me on the shoulder and said, I've got something else for you to do. And uh, I began to be convicted that I should do some kind of full-time ministry. Um, I'd always been an active layman. Uh, From my very baptism, of course, I'd been working for six months as a volunteer for the church with the pastor there in Sydney. Um, And then after that, um, I got a a job after that. We got married. I got a job. And then I got the job uh, down in Warburton in the restaurant. And then a couple of years later, that that job at Signs. But always I was involved in ministry. I was always involved with ministry at the church. I was always involved in giving Bible studies uh, and then later sermons and evangelistic sermons um, to try and help others to find the God of the universe, the God of the Bible. So I guess, I mean, for me, this was the most exciting thing. I mean, discovering that there is a God in the universe, discovering that he cares about me individually, discovering that he has a plan to save everybody, Uh, this to me was the most exciting thing. So I wanted to be involved in letting others know. Um, From my perspective, that's how I understood the Bible. Everybody who discovers God wants to share that with somebody else. It's kind of like finding a cure for cancer. If you have cancer and you discover a cure for cancer, one of the things you want to do is let everybody know that so that they can benefit too. Uh, You think of somebody like Olivia Newton-John, that had breast cancer. And she uh, now, there's a hospital in Melbourne where they've set, set up a wing of of the hospital, a centre, the Olivia Newton-John Centre, that helps people overcome cancer because she overcame cancer. And th- that's what it's like, I think, when you discover God, when you discover God can help you with the day-to-day issues of life, as well as offer you life beyond the grave. What What better offer could you find Than that, Um, And so I wanted uh, everybody to be able to know this And I I would spend uh, a lot of my time at work I'd be working on a machine But then I'd be writing down my next Bible study Or my next sermon or whatever it might be uh, And always active in ministry for others Because I just thought it was so important One of the things I think I have a couple of friends who are in AA Which is Alcoholics Anonymous And in many respects My view of church is very similar to that Um, you know people go to Alcoholics Anonymous because they have a problem with alcohol they know they have a problem with alcohol they know that within that group they're going to get support and help for that and so they go along well the friends that I have in AA have been there for over 20 years and they haven't touched a drink so why do they keep going well first and foremost they keep going because they don't trust their own strength to cope without the support of the group but secondly even if they are stronger now, they want to be there for the guy that just walks in. They want to be there for the person that just walks in who's struggling with alcohol and says, hey, we struggle too. We've been dry for 20 years. We can help you with that. And I think Christian church really is similar to that, that we go along, we go to worship God, but we go to support each other. Um, I need that support every day. Uh, and so as many of you know, the church programs that were running, I would go to all of them practically because I wanted to be involved in every way. I wanted to be as close to God as I could be. I wanted God to fill every fiber of my being. So I guess if we go back in the story, that time when the pastor was asking me, would you like to work as a volunteer with the church after you've been baptized? The struggle I had with whether or not to accept that request uh, that's really when I gave everything to God. That not only was I going to get baptized, I was going to give up my plans to travel Australia. Uh, I was going to give up that and I'm going to spend the, the, the rest of the the last six months in Sydney. So I would have been in Perth for three months, Sydney for nine months, but that was it. I wouldn't have seen the rest of Australia. And that was my plan when I came. I was a backpacker. I was, you know, planning to see Australia. So I was giving up on that. Uh not thinking that I would end up living in Australia, (laughs) finding a wife, marrying and living in Australia and now having seen lots of parts of Australia because I live here. Um, And so it's kind of ironic that, uh, you know, when you put your all in with God, it's amazing what he does in your life.
0: What was the critical factor in your transition now to ministry?
1: Well, when, uh, as an active layman, Uh, Like I said, I um, became an elder in the the local church down at Warburton, Um, would be teaching Bible for seven years straight. Um, I used to love doing that because I knew in order to teach Bible, you had to learn Bible. Uh, And so I would uh, learn the Bible lessons in order to teach them to others. Uh, And that was a great education of the Bible for myself. But... As I was doing this uh, towards my end of the the seven years that I spent working in Warburton at Science Publishing Company, I began to think, Lord, is there more that you would want me to do and I began to think maybe I should do full time ministry. Uh, you know Do you want me to stay here at the Science Publishing Company and, and work in the church as a layman, Lord, or do you should I become a literature evangelist because we 'd seen lots of literature evangelists, and I really appreciated the work. They were doing, or should I do full-time ministry? And uh, for a time, I thought about doing literature evangelism. In fact, I did the training course um, and made plans for that. But um, we were thinking about those things. We went to a camp meeting, a Christian camp meeting in Victoria at Easter time in 2003. And I met a friend there, a friend I used to work with. And this friend said to me, Hi, Pete. How are you doing? What are you doing? you Are still at Signs? I said, yeah, I'm still at the Signs. But I'm thinking that I should do some kind of full-time ministry. I don't know what that will be, but we're praying about it and we're, we're thinking about what that might look like. Well, that was on a Friday. On a Sunday, I saw that man again. And uh, he saw me. I was waiting in line in a queue. And uh, he said, uh, I've been talking to my wife about what we spoke about. And uh, he said, uh, "If you would like to do full time ministry, and if finance is a problem, my wife and I would like to lend you a hundred thousand uh, dollars." And I nearly, you know, you could have knocked me over. Um, I was amazed that anybody would make that kind of approach to me. Uh, I went back to see my wife. Uh, we were, you know, we were camping at that camp meeting, and we went back to our tent and we we knelt down and prayed and we cried about the idea that maybe God would provide that kind of support for us. Mm. I felt really humbled that anybody would think that I was worthy enough to, to do that. Um, I remember going to a, a church in Victorian preaching and, and one of the members of the church says, you know, don't go and study ministry. Come to our church, be our pastor, I'll build you a house. And I thought, wow, the, the Lord will provide, you know, all these different situations. Uh, another person at the camp meeting we were at said that on that Sabbath afternoon, they had had an ordination service, somebody who had chosen to do ministry who was now being ordained as a pastor. And at the end of that service, they'd said, is there anybody in the congregation who would uh, like to put their hand up or stand up and say yes? I think God is calling me to ministry. Somebody talked to me about that meeting and said, were you there? I said, no, I wasn't there. And they said, well, that was a pity because we think that you should have been there because we think you should have stood up to do ministry too. So there were a number of people who were saying to me, we think you should do ministry. And then here was this incredible offer of financial help, should we need it, to go and do ministry at college. And so we prayed about it and we believed that that was what God was calling us into. And so we went and, and did ministry, and, uh, and that's how it all began.
0: You said before that you didn't um, really have an academic bent. Mm. How did you find studying as a mature-age person?
1: Well, as I said before, I left school when I was 16, uh, and I took up a car mechanics apprentice, uh, apprenticeship. Um, and then I worked at the car factory. I'd been a sales rep. I'd been a truck driver. I'd been a bookbinder. I'd done a variety of different kinds of work, um, but academics really wasn't me. My brother's the academic. He's two years older than me, and he's been an accountant ever since he left, you know, school. Uh, he did all the studies and so forth. Um, so I really didn't know. I guess I was it, it was a leap of faith for sure. Um, because of course I had left school at sixteen, and now was thirty-seven, planning to go back to college. Um, I needed to take a couple of exams to find out whether I could write essays and I had no idea whether I could or not. Uh, That came back good. Uh, Then I took I think a a week or two of a bridging course before the the course proper and then did a four year course. The Lord really, really blessed um, because it's not really uh, something that I would say I'm naturally given to uh, academic kind of studies Uh, and yet uh, it was funny when my my brother was about twenty years old. He already had about a thousand books in his personal library. He loved reading books. Most of them are fiction, but he just loved reading books. He loves reading. Um, whereas I would always have toys as a child, and um, today I have over a thousand books in my personal library, which is amazing to me because I never ever thought that would happen. Um, I've lear- you know I've learned to appreciate reading far more as a Christian, than I ever did before. Um, So I suppose that, you know, there's a different thing when you're studying something that you love. That's different to studying something that's a school subject that you really have no interest in and you just have to do it because you're at school. And so uh, with the studies that I was doing, the topics that I was studying at college were, of course, all related to the Bible uh, and because of that. You know, um, for instance, I loved studying Greek and Hebrew. Um, those were two subjects that uh, I did particularly well at simply because I really wanted to know what the Bible says. Um, and it's so, a long
0: way from being an agnostic in Birmingham, isn't
1: it? It's a long way from being an agnostic from Birmingham. I guess one of the, the main points I would want to make about my story is I now know that nothing is impossible for God. Nobody is beyond God's reach. You know, sometimes we think of people who may not have any interest whatsoever in God and we think, well, there's very little hope for them. How are they ever going to get connected to God? I believe God can reach anyone, anywhere, um, but it is also dependent on the choice. We talked before in one of the programs about the freedom God gives us. We have this incredible power as human beings and it is the power of choice. Um, we can choose what we will do today, we can choose which direction we will turn, we can choose whom we're going to rely on, we can choose what we cho- you choose to read, what we choose to watch, what we choose to listen to and how that will influence our life to build us up or to degrade us. Um, We have so many choices that we make in life and we don't realize the power of those choices. And uh, I believe God can reach anyone, anywhere. And if we will turn, we will choose to at least listen to the voice of God calling us, uh, then we have an opportunity to experience a better life now. The Bible calls it an abundant life. Jesus said, I've come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. So it's not just the sweet by and by that Christians rejoice in. We have a better life here and now. Uh, Life is no picnic. It's no uh, bed of roses on planet Earth, as we mentioned before, because, you know, life on planet Earth is a battlefield. However, life with God is better than life without him, and I can testify to that. that. And because of the situation where I was as an agnostic, not caring about God, not knowing about whether God existed and not really caring whether he did or not, to now being a thoroughly convicted and convinced person who has a relationship with God. It's not just that I think or believe God exists. I have a relationship with God.
0: Is that the reason why you put this series together? Because the varied life experiences that you have had seem to have prepared you to be able to relate to a number of different people in our community.
1: Well, it is, it is funny because, um, yeah, the different... Uh, I guess, the different hobbies I've had, the different life experiences. I've lived in England, I've lived in Cyprus, and I've lived in Australia. I've traveled to 25 countries around the world. Um, There's very few people that I meet that I can't engage in some kind of conversation about something. But, uh, you know, God cares about every individual. The Bible says, for God so loved the world. And what he's talking about there is the people in the world. God loves all the people in the world. He doesn't love just a group of people who happen to be in the right synagogue or the right church or whatever. He loves everybody in the world. He loved me long before I ever knew about him, uh, much less loved him. He loved me, and uh, that is a wonderful thing, and I think people need to know that. Um, you know sometimes uh, if people are you know sometimes people might be antagonistic against God, and I might say to them, "Well, God loves you, and there's nothing." you can do about it, (laughs) that God is going to love you whether you like it or not. Um, God just wants us to find the solution to the human problem. Uh, And the human problem is sin and selfishness, which is self-destructive. It's destructive to other people. It's destructive to the society at large. And God wants us to find that solution. And he is that solution. Uh, And he makes our lives better in the here and now. But he also has that promise of an eternity in the future. This is one of the reasons why I created the, this series, Is God For Real? Um, certainly, I'm not the innovator of many of this material. I've drawn on uh, materials that other people have used. Uh, but this includes, I guess, part of my own journey about finding out that God is real, uh, that there is someone there, and he does care about us. Um, and he gives us purpose and meaning. He gives us every reason for having purpose today, having hope for tomorrow, but caring for our other, uh, you know, the Bible talks about love your neighbor. Uh, It even talks about love your enemies, that we can care about other people because there's a bigger picture in mind. Um, There is a better life to be had now and an eternity to have, have in the future.
0: We've come to the end of our seven hours of conversations. What has all this meant to you?
1: I think it means everything, you know, and uh, sometimes we will trot out that kind of line and and it sounds very glib, you know, this means everything to me. But in reality, uh, God is the creator of the universe. We've discovered that in this series. Um, That means He made human beings. The Bible declares that He made human beings in His image. We are uniquely special in the universe. Not only that, we are uniquely special as individuals. There's no two people exactly alike. My mum is a twin, uh, and my mum and her twin sister look alike, but they're not exactly the same. You know, they are individuals. And uh, because you're unique, you're priceless. There's nobody in the universe quite like you. And God wants to have not only a relationship with you and I now, but he wants that into eternity. Uh, if we don 't make it into eternity, then there'll be a piece missing it 's a piece that 's irreplaceable because you 're unique you 're priceless uh, and so you know God sees us in that way and so this whole thing of whether there's a God or not it is absolutely immense it's it's the biggest question I believe there is This is the biggest question there is: Is there a God in the universe? If there is, what kind of God is there in the universe? Uh, If God is loving and kind, um, how is that displayed in the fact, you know, in in a, a world where we see so much death and suffering, we covered that subject. That's really, really important because if we don't understand that, then we see good in the world, we see evil in the world, and both must be the responsibility of God if there's no enemy on the other side. But we saw in the program Why So Much Suffering, that there is a battle going on over planet Earth there's a battle going on for your mind and mine for our loyalty our allegiance and uh, God is desperately pleading with us to choose him the source of life in the beginning the source of resurrection life through Jesus so that even if we die believing in him he will resurrect us someday and uh, well, I believe it's a, an offer too good to be true uh, not too good to be true rather but too good to uh, pass up Uh, I I know many people look at the offer and say it is too good to be true. Um, But I ask people to continue to search, continue to investigate, because there is everything to gain. Um, Really, if you set that aside, what are our other options? Our other options are to live a purposeless life, to grow old, to eventually die, and to have nothing beyond that to look forward to. And uh, what we've discovered is there is a far more optimistic outlook that we can have, and it's based on evidence, and that's why this series, Is God For Real?, was put together. It was put together to demonstrate that there is good, solid evidence for a Christian faith.
0: Peter, it's been really great talking with you. I know that there will be some people who may want to discuss some of these issues with you. Would you be willing to do that?
1: Absolutely. And I, if anybody wanted to contact me, uh, they could do so through 3ABN and uh, I'd be delighted to be in touch with them.
0: That's wonderful. Well, it's been really great talking with you. I hope that um, people will have been encouraged by your story, that people who may be struggling with some of the issues that you had to struggle with will find some courage through this and maybe some direction. But as our customers I wonder whether you'd like to close our conversation today with a prayer.
1: Yes, I will, Barry. And I just want to thank you for the opportunity as well. It's been a great uh, series of opportunities to talk about some important things.
0: Well, if I've got anything to do with it, this won't be the last time we hear from you. (laughs) Okay.
1: Let's have a prayer. Okay. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we're just so grateful to you for all that you have revealed through your word, that we can know that we live in a universe where there is a God a very personal God, a God that cares and loves human beings, a God who has come down to earth in the person of Jesus Christ to show us what God is like, to show us how we should live and how we should treat each other, but also to go to the cross and die a death that he did not deserve in order that we may have an opportunity for an eternal life that we did not deserve. Lord, thank you for this. May we continue to search your word that we might find out more about you and more about how we can live in this world where we can love you, love our fellow man, and fulfill the purpose that you have for us. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Amen. Thanks, Peter. Don't forget to join us next time. Bye for now. God bless you and keep you. You've been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio.